This is Coda Radio, episode 99, for April 28th, 2014. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our three fine sponsors, DigitalOcean, Linux Academy, and Profiler. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host on the East Coast, the newly married Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Hello Chris. Hello, sir. How are you Peace doing? How are you feeling? <laughs> Did you get charged up on the honeymoon? Everything goes smooth? You have a good trip and all that? Everything went smooth. It was a nice trip. I, I got a little cold, so that's good. Yeah, so that means you actually traveled. Yeah. That's the proof right there, because I get those, too, every time I leave the house, I think. Uh, so you feeling good enough to do uh, episode 99 of the Coda Radio program? Let's do it. Well, good. I'm. Uh, I, this After this show is when my kind of weekend officially comes to an end, because I figured I, I haven't let myself off the hook. We spent the weekend at Linux Fest Northwest. Uh, the two th- the fifteenth Linux Fest Northwest up in the beautiful Pacific Belly- Pacific West Bellingham Washington. It was really quite a good time, but uh, I pretty much haven't gotten much sleep for the last three days. So uh, after this, I'm going to crash. So after ninety nine, I'm 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 out for like like the rest of the week. No, not really. Very good. Uh, well, good. I'm glad you had a I'm glad you had a good uh, a good little honeymoon and a good marriage. Uh, I didn't see any pictures. I didn't see any wedding pictures. I didn't see any honeymoon pictures. I assume those are coming. I guess right. Well, it's because I don't love you anymore, Chris. Oh, okay. All right. I just thought maybe I stopped following you on social <laughs> social media or something like that. Well, uh, coming up on this week's episode of the Coda Radio program, uh, we're going to talk about uh, a lot of your follow up to a few things that we floated in the last two weeks. We had a last week we had a call in episode. We had some really good response to that, and then a week ago we had some technical questions that people have written in their answers for, and then I got a little surprise later on in the episode. Something that uh, is going to make your minds blow out of your skull. You're going to like. <laughs> And you're going to think any kind of development job you've ever had is nowhere near as hard as it used to be. So if you've been feeling like you've been like your job really sucks lately, or if you feel like whatever project you're working on has gotten away from you, don't worry. I'm going to make you feel a lot better towards the end of this week's Coda Radio. Uh, and we're also, if we have a little time, going to talk a little bit about our Coda Radio 100 plans, including some potential Coda Radio 100 swagsies. So stay tuned for that. Uh, before we get too far, though, because uh, we have a lot of email to get to, I wanted to thank our first sponsor this week, and that is Linux Academy. Now, I am so excited about, about Linux Academy because they're sort of helping me really sort of get solidified in my head what I want to do for how-to Linux. These guys, I'm kind of looking up to them, and this is this is the gold example, in my opinion. So what is Linux Academy? Well, get started by going to linuxacademy.com coders. That's going to take $5 off every single month. What you get for that monthly price is step-by-step video courses, downloadable and comprehensive study guides for Linux, for AWS. Uh, they have new courses all of the time. You can run any of the 7-plus available Linux distributions, so that way you know you get a fully rounded Linux experience. And they'll customize the course material so that like, if you choose, uh, say, Fedora, you choose that distribution, the course material automatically reflects that. And they have each course you take, every class you take, has sections broken out where you can quiz yourself to see how far you are, video or audio introductions. You can log out and log back in and resume right where you left off. It's super sweet. You can, it makes it so simple to keep track of your progress with that, with that methodology. So you know, hey, you know what? Tonight I can budget 30 minutes. Well, you can go in there, spend your 30 minutes training yourself, advancing your skill set, and then when you come back the next night, maybe you have an hour, maybe you have 30 minutes again, you can, just, you can totally see where you're at. You can see how fast your progress is, and you can just pick right up. And if you've been thinking about jumping in more into AWS, they have the AWS Certified Developer Course. They have the AWS Certified SysOps Administrator Course, AWS Certified Solutions Architect. And what's really awesome about not just AWS but a lot of their stuff, is they have scenario-based quizzes. So at the end of that scenario, you've literally implemented something that you could take, pick up and 
put that solution into production. You, you don't walk away feeling like you don't have any real-world experience because these scenarios that are created by their team, and they got a group of guys there that are just absolutely passionate about these topics. They've been working on this site for years now. They've got an awesome back end to it that they've custom handcrafted, coded all of it themselves. The infrastructure allows that when you're in a course and you need to do something in testing, they will spin up on the back end the virtual machine that you need to do that task. That's great, too, when you're doing the AWS stuff because you don't have to worry about like going over to Amazon, setting up all the AWS stuff if you don't already have it, and then worried about like the accidental bill that comes in the mail that you know, you've heard me bitch about before. It happens, and they take care of that aspect for you. If the course requires a virtual machine where you actually do it in production, they spin it up. It's really awesome, and they've got new stuff coming all the time, new courses, new labs. Two to three times a week, they add stuff, and they also have group accounts. So if you have a team of people like in a, in a, in a business, you all can get in there. And you just get started by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders. Don't forget the S. That's going to give you $5 off a month, and you're going to be really, really impressed with what you get. And they have a good community they're building up, too, people talking about the courses they've taken, the jobs they've gotten after taking these things. It's pretty awesome, and it's really built for our audience. linuxacademy.com slash coders, and a really big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay, Mr. Dominic, I'm going to start with a kind of a, I just want to throw a really technical uh, sort of esoteric one in your face just to wake you up this morning. You might not have an answer for this guy, but it, okay, it comes from David, and David writes in, Hi, I've been working in industry coding for a while. I work at a place where I get the freedom to try out pr- pretty much, pretty much whatever I want because, well, to be frank, others don't know exactly what I'm doing. Of course, like most of us, I try to make the best decisions for the company. I've been there for years now and implemented source control long ago, first with SVN, uh, then he switched over to Visual SVN, and now he's on Git with Bonobo Git. They're a Windows shop. So everything hosted on Windows is preferable, even though he's a Linux guy at heart. Now that I've got myself well-rooted in Git and have a project management software that will attach to it, I'm attaching. I'm attacking something I should have taken care of a while back, the databases. How do you and what tools do you use to source control your database? I know it's the right thing to do, and I just want to make sure I do it correctly. Currently, I'm looking at using LiquidBase, but it seems, it seems pretty mature and easy to use. But what do you think? Dave. So, Mr. Dominic, you'd using anything to do version control with the database? Is no, actually. Hmm. Yeah, I haven't heard any. I haven't heard a lot of this, and I guess it it, it seems kind of obvious that it would happen, right? But don't most databases have these kinds of capabilities built to them? I mean, what am I missing here? Because I'm thinking of database snapshots. I'm thinking of backups. What does version controlling of the database get you that the database tools themselves don't already provide? That's the part I'm missing out on. And that's just because I'm, I'm not a smart man. I'm sure there's something there, but I'm just not seeing the connection. Uh, so LiquidBase is, is what he found. I don't know. So, sounds, sounds reasonable. It sounds really interesting. I'm not sure why. Well, I guess I, I, guess I get why you would want to do that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's definitely a... I feel like it's more than just a belt and, belt and suspenders thing. I, I feel like there's more practical to it, but yeah, uh, yeah sorry, Dave. We, I neither. I I didn't. I wasn't so sure, but I thought I'd challenge it early in the morning. Uh, uh, so uh, we have in the chat room. They say I think they're talking about version control of the schema and structure of the database, and not the data necessarily. Yeah, that that would make sense. Yeah, I could see that. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. That's what a database dump is for. But we move on. Aaron writes in. He wants our advice on a career course correction. Hey, guys, I'm a new listener, but I love the show, and I've listened to about half of Coder Radio episodes over the past month. It gets me pumped on my 30-minute commute each morning. Right on, Aaron, right on. I have a question regarding programming careers, specifically mine, but I'm betting I'm not alone. I'm a self-taught web developer, and I have been working professionally for an e-commerce company for three years. Because I'm self-taught, I would have taken just about any program job programming job that would have taken me initially. I was desperate for experience, and I wanted to code as part of a team. I initially started writing small apps with PHP, but our proprietary e-commerce platform is written in, please don't laugh, ColdFusion. The ColdFusion community is small, but spunky, and there are features in ColdFusion which I love, like their easy-to-use query object. However, I never envisioned myself as a ColdFusion developer long-term. I'm concerned that if I don't pivot, my career outlook might look bleak. The specific situation I'm afraid of is being a five-year web developer, but in a language that doesn't matter to potential future employers or clients. Any advice you could give me would be appreciated and helpful planning the next few years of my career. Thanks for the show, Aaron. 
Have you ever been stuck in a situation where you feel like you're learning experience on something that's totally not going to help you outside the current job? Ah, uh, you must be talking about Objective C. Oh wow! <laughs> I guess there is a little bit of that, although it seems like that has at least some runway to it. Cold yeah, Fusion does not seem to be in the same yeah, situation. Yeah, well, well, hang on, Objective C on the server side, baby. <laughs> Hold on, can I go get my web objects installation yes. finished first? <laughs> uh, what would you do for this guy? Does he quit? I wouldn't say quit. I would say this is where that you know, couple hours a week on your own time of keeping up with. Not the new hotness necessarily, but something, something else is going to really matter for you. I mean, have you seen demand out there for Cold Fusion? Do you think? Do you think he is wasting his time? I and mean, should we? Get, are we giving Cold Fusion short shrift here? You know, I, I've actually had a couple people ask for Cold Fusion work. Um, not often. Get it out of here. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, it definitely seems like uh, something of the past to me. But I would say the same thing about Java. Oh, oh, just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just trying to get people fired up. Uh, Yeah, all right. So, Aaron, uh, here's my advice to you is I would take a little I would take a little bit of what Mr. Dominic is saying. Uh, You mentioned that you had some PHP experience. Uh, This does seem like a weekend project thing. Uh, What about, you know, Aaron, I'll say I don't know your situation, but um, what about identifying a new solution, a new project that maybe the company needs a solution for something internally? You know, I'll give you an example. Um, when we really wanted to uh, sort of make an adjustment from ASP. This wasn't ASP.net either. This was old school ASP. And we were just having all kinds of, you know, just unhappiness, general unhappiness. And PHP was kind of new and hot. And we are like, oh, man, we want to try out PHP so bad. But management was like, no, we're never, ever switching. And we're never, ever going to change anything about this core application. So we, what, we, what we quickly realized is we needed to identify another need and fulfill that need and use PHP and MySQL and Linux and Apache at this time to, to solve that problem. So what we did is we identified the fact that, gosh, you know, we don't really have an actual help, de- help desk ticketing system. This is back in the day. Uh, we, we've kind of got this makeshift forum people fill out, and then it goes into an email inbox at the help desk, and then they sort of divvy it out. But we don't, we don't actually have a truly legitimate ticket submission system. And at the time, there really wasn't a lot of pre-made ones. So we set out to build it in PHP and created an application that was extremely useful for the, for the company. And uh, it, was a, it was a no-brainer for them to want to deploy it once we sort of had a rough mock-up of what we wanted. We had the uh, we essentially the front end sort of assembled, but didn't really connect to much. Uh, we actually had some some technical loopholes we had to figure out. One of the nice things that PHP allowed for was um, you could run uh, obviously commands on the command line with PHP. So you could have uh, you know a web page call a PHP page on the command line, and then it would execute a Samba login on the back end. And we were actually authenticating users to our Apache-powered intranet using Samba on the command line to pull in their user information from the NT directory. And uh, that was pre- not, not impossible in ASP.NET. In fact, or I'm sorry, just regular ASP. In fact, it was pretty straightforward if you were using only Internet Explorer. But if you were using any other web browser... Uh, it was no good, and we had some we had some terminals on the floor that didn't have IE because they were just little embedded Linux boxes. And uh, so we we created this system that was so useful to them that essentially from that point forward, it was sort of a foregone conclusion that PHP would have at least be part of that discussion. Now I don't know if today it would be PHP. Uh, this was years ago, many years ago. But uh, it you know whatever it is. Um, you just have to show them, you have to demonstrate something very useful to your current employer, not to replace the existing thing they depend on, but something new they can depend on, and show them how what you want to write it in can solve that problem. And then maybe you'll just get, a, maybe you'll have an opportunity to scratch that itch at the current employer without having to quit or without having to uh, bust your butt over the weekend, although you might have to on the special project. But if that isn't going to work for you, if you can't do that scenario, I say, Take the uh, handsome Mr. Dom- Dominic uh, over there because I-, I would agree with him that this is definitely something you could sort of at least toy with over your free time. I know it's not the best thing. Everybody likes to play. But if you got that itch, go scratch it while you're getting paid. And then maybe you'll build up that skill set and uh, something will click. 
All right, so we got a lot of feedback on your, and, and mine, although yours was a little stronger than mine, uh, strong Uh-oh. stance on remote workers. Uh, we, we, and both of us have recently just, I've just hired my first employee, you've hired some people over there, and just recently added more people. And so it was funny this remote work topic came up when we've both just kind of been going through the process of bringing people in under one yes. roof. Uh, yes. So I think both of us kind of came down maybe a little stronger than we normally would have, like during the Yahoo debacle, for example. So we got some feedback. We got quite a bit of feedback. I distilled it down to one or two emails. Our first one here comes from Brandon. He says, hello, Chris and Mike. First, congratulations, Mike, on the new marriage. I wanted to write in about the remote work topic that was covered in Coda Radio 98. I work at a small software company, less than 100 people, and I work from home one day a week. We also have several other employees who, le- who live a decent, who, decent commute away from our office that work using a mixture of remote and in-office time. This allows me to participate in the hallway, water cooler, and other office-based face-to-face interactions, but also gives me the ability to turn off some of the distractions of the same environment and hunker down to get some work done. Yes, I value these interactions, but that is what sometimes is lost. But what is sometimes lost is that any given individual in the office has a large amount of work to do some days between meetings and people stopping by my desk, then none of it gets done. What always seems to happen when discussing two extremes is that either there's a resolution in the middle ground, in my case, one day a week. So he's saying we were kind of looking at the extreme version, but perhaps there's some room to sort of meet in the middle. Uh, I hope this helps Mike in the future to offer his future missions, I mean co-workers or minions, uh, as a viable option to balance the potential productivity increase of remote work with office interactions. Love the show. I hope the new studio treats JB well. Brandon. Uh, so, what do you think about the kind of worker who maybe comes into the office a couple days a week and then works from home maybe three days a week or two days a week? What do you think about that? You know, that's that's probably a more reasonable middle ground. Um, I think it – so the problem is I think it's going to depend on the individual person. Uh, we've had folks who just can't work remote. Mm-hmm. And what ends up happening is you either have to get in a situation where nobody can work remote, um, which everybody's on the same field, or you start letting certain people but not others. Right, right. Or that has to become yet another thing you're hiring for. You know, uh, so I find that at least so far, uh, when I have a show early in the morning, it's actually a little easier for me to prep the show from home and then get in the car and drive to the studio because when I get here, all of a sudden there's usually something to take care of. Not not really. I mean, this is all very new, so who knows what's, how it's actually going to shake out. But you know, maybe there's just something to follow up on, or there's a, a problem in the studio to work out, or there's a discussion that needs to be had with somebody. And uh, I kind of feel like I kind of I'm fo- I'm following what Brendan says, where when you know you're in, when you're in physical space with other people automatically they sort of take precedence over some theoretical thing you a task you need to be working on uh but when you're at home you know if you have a if you have a a good working environment at home those those little distractions just don't happen they're just it means also that collaboration doesn't happen which is absolutely important so i think the the one or two days away thing is actually it's pretty sensible Especially if you're do, if you're writing code um, or you know writing of some kind or something like that, where you really need your con- anything where you really need your concentration. Because the other thing is, is I remember when I worked at a desk job, I hands down had a way better setup at home than I had at my office. Now that I have my own business, it's not really the case anymore. I make sure that I have a good setup at both places. But back in the day when I was working for somebody else. I, I had a faster internet connection at home. I had a faster computer at home. I had probably had more screens at home. Uh, so I genuinely felt like I could get more in the zone. I could focus more. I could play my music louder. Uh, all these things that just sort of helped me click a little bit better. But uh, as a contractor, I definitely, definitely, I think I said this two weeks ago, but if I had a client that I, I had to keep, couldn't afford to lose, I was going out there at least once a week, once every two weeks whatever the client situation demanded. Uh, if nothing else, and, and this is honest to God the truth, in fact, almost every every single time I would go to a client's office, if I was working on any infrastructure stuff, the server, doing updates, checking the switch, whatever it was, 
I would do the exact same process I would use if I were working at home. I would open up a remote connection, SSH, a remote desktop, or whatever it was. I would log remotely into the server if I'm at the LAN or if I'm at home. So the, the functionality, tool-wise, was absolutely the same. The only thing I couldn't do was obviously the desktop support stuff. And if you're set up like that, I think it can be extremely productive. But I think what Mike and I have, have, are, have been trying to say is there is sort of this group consensus that builds a little bit easier, and you're all sort of working in the same direction, sharing the same momentum, when those little obnoxious constant interruptions come up because those things are the little the little bits that give that momentum bump and keep them going. They're the little pieces of conversation that keep everybody on the same page, and you unravel and lose that if you're completely disconnected. And yes, I know there's tools for that, but that was that was kind of our stance. And Jason writes in, kind of along the same exact topic. He says, "Hey, I've been working like this for a while, talking about working remotely, and I don't feel a loss of communication or productivity." Oh. At first there was, but this that is because the company culture was built on face-to-face communication. It took a company culture change for my position to work out. Now we use chat for most everything and video calls when chat isn't cutting it. I see the rest of the, my team every day and it's working out well for everyone. On top of that, I fly out once a month for a week to the company office, just like many remote companies hold regular uh, meetings in person. Uh, he says, all that said, I did take a pay cut to work remotely. Uh, we, were, we, were, we were speculating about that uh, in 98. I think this is fair, as I'm still paid well for my skills, but I get the freedom to live anywhere with only the restriction of being internet connectivity. Working remotely finally gave me the quality of life I have been looking for while also shifting the measurement of success from a time clock to actual results. Oh, that's big. Yeah, you know, I always kind of... I always kind of uh, was a little miffed at my clients because I, I felt like I'm providing you the same exact results either way. You just want to see my butt in a chair to know that you're getting your money's worth. But if at the end of the day, if the results are coming in, it's a little bit easier when you're a developer because you're actually producing a product instead of IT infrastructure where you're just keeping things running. Uh, he says, it takes a little extra effort on both ends to adjust to normal communication habits, but the effort is well worth it. P.S. If the company wasn't willing to allow me to work remotely, I wouldn't be working for them. The job would have required a move, and family obligations wouldn't allow for that at the moment. They would have lost out on my talent, and I would have lost out on working with a great company on a great product. Oh, Mr. Dominic! They're calling you out a little bit on that last part there, but I kind of see what he's saying. I, I, I think what he's this guy that you're talking about. He's this guy you just said where, yeah, I can see for some people it works fine, uh, but... It also depends on the task you're doing. All right, your buddy. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I would add a few things there. Okay. I, I think it probably works fine for senior staff. Um, so I'm trying to think of every case where it hasn't worked out for me. It's been someone out of school. Younger, you think? Younger. Yeah, I, I was trying to avoid the age thing, but it, it's a little interesting because, you know, I, I feel like, we're not going to go into FizzBuzz again, but damn. Uh, you think it's maybe experience in learning how to manage yourself properly when you're not in the office? Well, I think Too the, much temptation to screw around, maybe? I think the way colleges, or at least my college experience, was you, you're encouraged to go to class and show up. That's a nice percentage of your grade. Um, and I... I feel like a lot of these younger folks are just too used to someone standing over them, making sure they know what they're doing. Um, and too many times have I had the experience of, you know, we kind of bring someone on and they just fall apart or yeah, yeah, yeah I can do that in a day. Right. Mm-hmm. And you get the impression that did you really start at nine or did you start at noon? Mm hmm. Um, and maybe this is something, granted, someone who is 20 years experience and could pull off a day's work in two hours, you would never know, right? And and then do you really care? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Right. But, that's kind of like our last email was saying is results kind of indicate, hey, if I can get yeah, the same I, result in two hours, that somebody so else might have eight. I think the issue we're coming into is this is not a isolated thing, remote work, right? This is part of compensation, where you are on the work chart. And, and, and frankly, your personality. Mm. Um, 
you know, if I've been interviewing a lot of college kids, you guys do not test well. <laughs> um, if it were up to me, New Jersey's minimum wage would be lower. Just throwing it out there. Uh, yet your expectations are, you know, 60 grand a year. So, and you want to work from home. Right. I would say that there's, there's probably on my part, a temptation to be more strict because I've, I've had a little bit of enough with, uh, let's say the younger generation. Fed up. They're not that much younger than me, but I, I've had, I think I've had enough and I think that's a good place to leave that. But I you know, certainly if you're willing to take a $20,000 pay cut to work from home, then I think that that's a reasonable negotiation. Mm-hmm. But if, if you think working from home is just going to be an extra carrot and you're not at that senior level or even at that advanced intermediate level, then I think it's um, – I I kind of think you're a moron. I got to be honest with you. Like I, I – I, you know, if, if you think you're going to come out of a just a regional school and make 60 grand and work from home um, and you can't pass FISBAs, I would – I would demand a refund for my degree. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, but I, I didn't want to go here. But yeah, no, go do it. You, you can't, you can't divorce this from the money. You just can't. This is another perk, right? This is like having coffee mm-hmm. or snacks or or buying pizza, or going to lunch, or mm-hmm. whatever other perks get thrown out. Mm-hmm. This is not. This is not something. You you're that, you're owed. You're owed. Right. Now, if you're if you're a more senior guy and you know you worked for Google for ten years and or, or you're someone who's maybe you know a couple years experience but is very good, then you have a little. I think you have a little more leeway to to negotiate. But if you're, and I Chris, maybe this is just inexperience because, um, you know, I feel like some of these kids come out of school and, you know, they they just spent a hundred thousand dollars or sixty thousand dollars, whatever they spent on their degree. And their parents, you know, everybody's kind of signed on to all this debt saying, well, you'll make it back. So there's a tremendous amount of pressure to make it back. Unfortunately, for junior level jobs, the the market, if you're not in New York or, or Silicon Valley, is just not with you. You know, that's a really interesting point is maybe that's where some of that entitlement factor comes from is that unconscious pressure and stress to make up make the value from that time and money you just spent. I, well, I think it's more, I mean, I don't think it's even unconscious. I mean, I, I'm, I'm still paying student loans, right? It, you know, those are 30 year loans. Right. And they're, they're on bad terms. You can't file bankruptcy. You can't right. get rid of them. No, I know. It, it's not unconscious. It's not, I wouldn't even call it entitlement. I would say they've been misled, but you know, I, we've been interviewing lots of people and, I'm just shocked that as they fail all of our programming tests, um, you know, we say, okay, well, what were you thinking in terms of hourly rate? Um, you know, no, the numbers that are being thrown out are ridiculous. Yeah, and I think, too, one thing we haven't given fair share to is uh, <clears throat> we've been talking about this kind of from the employer's point of view. But uh, it's not always a cakewalk for the employee either because you become uh, sort of on the spot to continually prove that you are working, that you are producing something of value, that you're not just screwing off. There's always this sort of built-in bias towards remote workers that a lot of management has, not all, but a lot has. And like our last email, I said, if you have a culture of a workplace where maybe that bias wouldn't be there, but there is often this nagging, chewing thing on the back of your mind that are they believing me? Do they know I'm really working this hard? And sometimes you're working even harder because you're not going out to lunch with folks. You're working through your lunch break. You're sitting at your desk. You're eating, you know, the microwave or the fridge or whatever it is. is just a few feet from your, your, your desk at home. So you actually end up working more without, and without distractions, that work is more dense. Uh, so you, but even still, like people like have suspicions about it. Right. And then the other thing, and I knew that I worked for a company for about a year entirely remotely and uh like they were having significant financial troubles significant and i had no idea none 
And it got to the point, the only t- the, the time I found out is when I stopped getting a paycheck. And that was the first, that was, that was the first time I'd ever heard of any kind of problem. And I suspect if I was in the office, I probably would have been hip to that a little bit quicker. So there are disadvantages to the remote employee. But I'll tell you what, back then, I was so, so happy to have a job that let me work from home. So it's, it, yeah, it's a kind of, it's a give and take thing, Mr. Dominic. Yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, even doing consulting work, it's, you know, there will be really, really good weeks where you get a lot done and it's this yeah. and you have some flashy GUI to show. Yeah. And then there'll be two weeks where you're just working on some sort of performance issue and they just have to take you at your word. Right. Because maybe you've written two lines of code. Yeah. Um, and that that's rough. I mean, that's... You know, imagine if that was your W2JOB job, right? It's because it's one thing if you lose a client, you know, it, it happens. But if to get fired over a misunderstanding is, is, is tough. And if you're at home, they really don't have a great way to verify that you're telling the truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, you, you know, you could use the old horrible SVN manager say, look, at commits. Well, hang on. If, if it's something that's just, you know, 100 lines of code, but really complex and yeah. that's not going to work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, well, we got another follow-up that I wanted to cover. Uh, you mentioned just kind of briefly uh, last week, like, the the uh, crazy price you're playing uh, paying now for GitHub every single month. So uh, listener Chris wrote in, says, I thought I'd pass this along for Michael after hearing him talk about his GitHub expenses. I can understand why he wouldn't want to roll his own GitHub necessarily, but he might want to check out GitLab at GitLab.com. It's a Ruby-based GitHub replacement that you can self-host. It offers most of the functionality you can get out of GitHub. There's a free open-source community edition as well. You can purchase enterprise support subscriptions if you need them. Uh, We use it at my office, and it works great. It might be worth looking into if he hasn't already. You heard of GitLab, Mr. Dominic? We are currently running GitLab. Oh, okay. uh, so fun fact, after we got off the air, I canceled our recurring Git- GitHub subscription. <laughs> really? I did not know that GitHub, even though they had charged my credit card quite literally the day before, yeah. has a policy of if you cancel the recurring sub, they deactivate all your access immediately. Holy crap. Crap indeed, Chris. Crap So indeed. you're paid up a month, and then boom, they cut it off. Gone. Wow. Yep. That is, so, you know what, so, that, that's crazy. So, you know, I, I'm known to be a calm, reasonable person. Um, I immediately canceled all of my services with them and switched to GitLab. <laughs> well, uh, how do you like it so far? It's actually pretty good. Um, you know, it's it's not as pretty as GitHub. Okay. I think that would be its biggest downfall. We're actually just running it on DigitalOcean. Well, this is what I was this is where I was going, yeah, is I was wondering if you if you knew you could run it they have like a one button install for it. Did you try their uh, push-button deployment of it, or did you guys load it by hand? Uh, did a push-button deployment, and then I actually went in and did a manual upgrade. Cool. Because uh, DigitalOcean is actually one version behind. Oh, okay. Which is great, except we're using a uh, chat program called Slack. Okay. That the, the version up has a uh, integration with. Well, uh, why don't I take a second right here and thank our sponsor, DigitalOcean. Mike just mentioned them. And they're awesome. When you need infrastructure on demand, these are the go-to folks. Go over to digitalocean.com and keep our promo code CODERAPRIL handy because that's going to get you a $10 credit. CODERAPRIL. CODERAPRIL will only be, well, it'll probably last for a little bit into April. But if you would go over there and do that, that'll give us a nice little boost for April and we'd really appreciate it. DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way to spin up a cloud server. Users can create a cloud server in about 55 seconds and pricing plans start at only $5 a month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and one terabyte of transfer. The more I have used DigitalOcean, the more I have come to appreciate how that SSD clearly plays into the value proposition of DigitalOcean. Because SSDs are so dang fast, the I.O. situation is completely flipped on these DigitalOcean droplets. It's so awesome. And then they pair it up with Tier 1 bandwidth and the best data center locations. DigitalOcean has data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, and Amsterdam, and they're all amazing facilities. Their interface is simple. They're control panel is so intuitive so beautiful and i actually mean they have a they have a freaking beautiful control panel for deploying servers in the cloud and it actually works so well but here's what's even better 
because I know you guys out there like your APIs, DigitalOcean has a straightforward API that lets you extend the functionality of that control panel. I just talked about it on last yesterday. There is now a Unity app that you can put right up in your menu bar of Ubuntu, and it will connect in via that API to your DigitalOcean account, and you can see all of the status of your droplets. You can start and stop them, restart them, get their IP addresses, get their uh, Linux version, all just right there in your menu bar by your clock. You don't even have to open up your web browser. And that's because DigitalOcean's API is inspiring the community to create applications around it. There's also apps for Android and iOS that allow you to manage your DigitalOcean droplets. What's so great is their control panel is... It's continually being iterated upon to make it better and better. And when they add new features, they do it in such an intelligent and an intuitive way that you can take advantage of them immediately. And like Mike and I were just saying, they offer the ability to deploy certain applications with one click. They're using Doku and Docker to pull this off, as far as I know, and it's really pretty slick. And they just also recently rewrote their HTML5 console. They have an HTML5 console, by the way. That's Let's just think about that for a second. HTML5 console, you actually get to see the BIOS level of your droplet. You see the whole system boot up. They just recently rewrote it in Go, uh, and they did a blog post about it. So if you're curious about why they chose Go for their uh, console, they have it up on their blog. And you can see right here is a one-button install of WordPress or Ruby on Rails or many of the other applications. They offer two-factor authentication for the management. You can back up and resize your droplets. You can make images of them and deploy them uh, again. So for example, if Mike took his GitLab uh, droplet and said, you know what, we really like this, but we want to experiment with the next version of GitLab in the future. Well, they can just take a snapshot of it. They do the update. If anything goes wrong, they just roll it right back. And DigitalOcean has 99.99% uptime SLA. So you know you're going to have a reliable backend if you use DigitalOcean for any of your infrastructure and tons of huge sites on the web do, as well as Mike uses the backend for a lot of his stuff. And now I've been using DigitalOcean it's so great as I move between locations to have one spot up in the cloud that I have root access to that I can deploy applications to manually myself or through one-click installation procedures, and it's always fast. And I know I'm only paying $5 a month. So go over to DigitalOcean.com and use that promo code CODERAPRIL to get a $10 credit. Try out that $5 rig. See what I've been talking about. And by the way, we've also gotten notes in from viewers who have taken advantage of DigitalOcean's hourly pricing. So when they have something massive they need to build, they'll go get one of these huge boxes at DigitalOcean, just load it all up and run it, have the build complete, and then they're done. They shut it back down. We got a note from, I think it was Ramey, who said he spent a dollar to do that recently. How great is that? So DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CODERAPRIL when you check out. And a huge thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. It's like one of the coolest resources that Mike has turned me on during the series of this show. I loves it. Uh, yes, I, I've turned Chris on to many things. <laughs> All right, and some coffee too. So, so, so I'm just, I just want to just pump a break here for one second. Okay. Now, Chris, um, I heard something on a plane about fourteen, um, and then another fourteen. Fourteen, fourteen. Something coming out of like South Africa. Hmm. I'm thinking of the colors brown. Oh, fourteen oh four, perhaps. Oh, was it oh four? I thought it was fourteen fourteen. Ah, <laughs> this crazy canonical gets me every time. Have you tried it? I have not had an opportunity to try it. it let me, is it worth my time? Well, I, I heard your review and it was kind of mixed. Yeah, I wasn't sure. I mean, if you're if you're if you're already happy with Ubuntu, this is like one of the best Ubuntu's yet. So well, so. Uh, are they continuing their trend towards Mac? Because, you know, that would make me happy. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> wow, that's a landmine. <laughs> uh, yes. So uh, um, they they haven't they didn't change too much between um, the last LTS and this LTS. It's more refinement, um, and they've changed the way the, the dash search works a little bit. They've changed a few things that, you know, I've wanted, like the ability to resize the uh, side panel a little more. Um, like a, a little more intuitively. They also added support for uh, high DPI screens. So if you end up getting yourself one of them fancy resolution laptops or something, you might uh, you might want to take advantage of that. Uh, you know. All right. So, let me ask you. Let me, let me let me just go ahead and, and, and take a shot here. Uh, how's that software center? Yeah, that's just what I was gonna say. Um, in terms of this show, my biggest disappointment continues to be the completely abandoned software center. 
it's Wait like a minute. I, I thought this was going to be the the uh, you know standard way to get software in Linux. It's like or... nothing changed. None of our complaints have been addressed. Uh, like, for example, you know how like we sometimes uh, moan and groan that certain uh, fruit company app stores will feature certain developers prominently and not feature other developers. I am aware of this. Yes, I would kind of be okay if Canonical would want to just spend a few minutes, maybe featuring an application or two in the software. You go, to, you open up the Software Center, and half of the things you see are apps that no user has ever heard of ever on the front screen. Things like Steam and Chrome, and uh, you know those types of things, totally nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found uh, on the front page. You got to go search for them, and when you search for them, you know sometimes like for Steam, you'll get two entries, and then you have to buy it. You can't just you know, install, you have to buy it. Well, of course, the cost is free, but in order to buy it, it means you have to have an Ubuntu One account, you have to give them your shipping address, uh, you have to check out, you have to add it to your cart. You know, all this kind of stuff to install Steam, it's pretty sad. And we were at uh, Linux Fest Northwest, and the Software Center came up. People were talking about it with us, and they're like, yeah, so what happened with that? How come they never made it better? Like, didn't they want to make money? Like, it just people are like, how did they ever expect to make money when it's this bad? And I kind of feel like Canonical, it was like a chicken and the egg problem where they're not putting any resources into it because it's not driving them any money, but they're not driving any money because they never put any resources into it. So so uh, I, I'm actually half trolling you here. Chris. I, I knew a little bit about it. Oh, really? Uh, I uh, know. Yeah. Oh, wait! <laughs> now, to get to the positive, uh, Docker by default? Yes. That's 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 good for the server. Yes. And would you support the following statement, Chris? And a simple yes or no will do. Okay. Uh, Linux is only useful on the server. No. Oh, oh, oh. Yes, yes, yes. I'm using it right now while we're doing the show. In fact, I'm skyping right, you and, from and, a Linux and, machine. I'm, and, I'm reading emails what, on a Linux what, machine. What machines are doing the encoding? Well, that would be a Macintosh from the Apple Inc. Yes, yes. Chris, do you know why I'm trolling you? Why is that? It just makes me sad that they didn't fix the software center. I know. It it really was a source of disappointment for me, too. Um, yeah. And, you know, uh, I, what you're kind of getting at is it sort of continues to force Ubuntu into a box. Um, if you don't need oh. good user experience on software acquisition, if you don't need wide vendor software support for certain types of tasks like media encoding or some other things, um, Ubuntu is fine. You know, uh, it, if you want to read email and browse the web and install some Steam games, if you can get Steam installed, which you can, it's just a pain in the butt, uh, it's fine. It's good. It's really good, actually. I'd say it's better than Windows uh, for those things. It's better, it's better than any operating system because the cost is, is nil, and you can load it on existing hardware that you already have, and the security is better than any of the commercial operating systems. But what you're get, because they have failed to make these improvements that you're trolling me for, it has forced them into that box, right? If they had made software acquisition amazing, if they had made it really transparent, really work well, perform well, the whole experience end-to-end well, developers would be more encouraged to submit their applications. Users would be more likely to spend money in that app store. More people would come to the platform. When they came to the platform, they would have an easier time getting started. They have an easier time adopting the desktop. They would have an easier time getting the applications they want. They'd have an easier time getting their work done. But because they have neglected those things... It's in a box. It's kind of disappointing. Because it could be so much better. It could be so much more. Um, this is my rant point over the last week. It's like, uh, you know, hey, by the way, guys, if you had uh, spent some of that money that you were trying to raise for the smartphone and maybe said, hey, we want to hire two designers, we want to hire maybe an infrastructure guy, and we want to hire a front-end guy or something like that, right? Imagine if that had happened. We would not even be in this situation right now. So that's that's a little difficult for me to swallow. Have you have you considered giving it a go, or are you just kind of like, man, no need to? Uh, you mean running it on a machine? Yeah. Uh, no, but so have I considered? Yes. Am I going to? Probably not. But that's more of a I don't have a spare machine, and I don't like the VM experience. Um, to be honest, I was really since this is an LTS, I was looking for a bigger jump because. If you were to support something, it would have to be this version. Because it's a five-year support. Yeah, right? yeah, and yeah, it's sort of one of the last of these releases before they, uh, I would assume, 
you know, switch to the new or get close to switching to the Unity and and uh, write the new Qt apps. I you know I did get a chance to play with some of the Qt apps, the new uh, Ubuntu Touch apps. Mm. Um, there's some things I like about them. They are uh, you know not even 1.0s yet, obviously because they're very early in the stage. Uh, but it, it makes it hard for me to get excited because I really don't have an interest in using a uh, desktop operating system that has applications that feel like they're five years behind other desktop applications. You know what I mean? So, uh, anyways, all right. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm just, it's really interesting because I just get the impression that it's just not a priority and it's that simple. Right, exactly. Yeah, they obviously have the talent. They just don't want to do it. So you're just switching to Mac is what you're saying? Well, my goal is to get the entire uh, listenership of the Linux Action Show to switch into Mac. <laughs> well, you should, go, uh, you should go hang out with the BSD Now guys because I think they have a pretty high percentage of Mac users who watch that show. Yeah, but they're not a very Mac-friendly crowd over there. <laughs> I know, which is funny because their audience is yeah. from, from the download stats I was looking at. Um Sorry, what's the, what's the best operating system you'll see at a BSD conference? Oh yeah, Mac. Wow, I don't know. Ooh. You know, PC BSD is getting pretty good for you know. Depend again, it goes back to kind of what your needs are. But yeah, I'm uh, just I'm just trolling people now. But yeah, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, your buddy Shane wrote in. Shane Qful. Oh no. Yep, Shane Qful. It's been it's been a few weeks since we've heard from Shane, so I'm really glad he wrote in because uh, he wrote in er- a lot earlier on in the show's history, but. It's been a while. He says, hey, Chris and Michael, love the show. I was one of the people who read the part of the OpenSSL code be- before all of this Heartbleed stuff started to come out, and I would like to share an insight on how and why people read or write said code. When I was in college, I was doing a project to create a cluster of Raspberry Pis to crack encrypted office documents. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I based this project on John the Ripper's Jumbo Edition and started contributing to the project on GitHub. Once I had the system working, I was looking for ways to make it faster. JTR uses OpenSSL as a library, so I ended up reading a lot of the ARM assembly and OpenSSL for the different cryptographic algorithms used in document decryption. It was very well written, and I didn't find any way to safely or easily improve upon the code, so I left it alone. But my point is that when someone reads or contributes to a project like OpenSSL, they usually have a particular purpose. Unless you're actively trying to do a security review of the project, you're unlikely to stumble across a bug unless it's in the area you are interested in. This is one of the more dangerous parts of having features like Heartbeat that most people aren't interested. You have less eyes on that code. That said, I think code reviews and good use of tools like Valgrind would have solved this particular issue. The more code I review... Uh, and be reviewed and work, the, the more I worry about the project that I didn't code review. Regards, Shane. I just thought that was kind of an interesting insight from Shane. I didn't have any particulars. I just think it's, you know, he said, hey, I read through it. Nothing jumped out at me. Uh, I'm pretty happy to see that the Linux Foundation, I don't know you, I don't know if you caught this over the uh, the uh, recent uh, vacay. Do you call it a vacation when you get married and go on a honeymoon? Because I don't know if that technically is a vacation. Oh, I've been calling it a vacation. I don't know. Good, good. I'm, like, I'm glad you see it that way. So I don't know if you caught this on your on your vacation, but um, like a whole bunch of companies, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Facebook, VMware, I'm forgetting others, all came together via the Linux Foundation to start a infrastructure initiative project to fund things like OpenSSL. And OpenSSL is the first one they're picking. Um, I know, Mike, that you like to have full control of the stack as much as possible. Uh, did you get first of all? Did anything you do get affected by heart by the Heartbleed bug? And do you have any trepidations post Heartbleed about having something like some piece of open source infrastructure code that's baked into your products? That if there's some massive problem, that's on you. Is that something you're anxious about anymore? So answer your first question, yes, but it was an easy just update fix. Um, to answer the second question. I don't really think that's a fair question. So the fact that most of what I'm using is open source doesn't mean that it's necessarily flawed, right? You could have a proprietary system, i.e. IE has a nice flaw right now. <laughs> yes. And you'll be in just as much trouble. Right. Um, if you, Unless you're suggesting, which I don't think you are, but that you should write 100% of all the code you use and no. not any third party. No, no. I'm just wondering... Um... If you feel like it sort of stains your name when there's a problem, 
if you've, if it's something you've incorporated into something you've shipped to a to a client? Um, there have. So to be honest, Heartbleed wasn't huge for me. Good. Uh, I only had one thing that was affected, and I patched them, you know, pro bono really quick. Good. The other issue was, and I don't, this is going to sound bad, but majority of people who aren't technical don't get the data breach risk. They get the outage risk. Uh, so when AWS goes down, that makes me look bad. DO goes down, which it really doesn't. In fact, I can't, I don't think it ever has since I've been using it. Good. Uh, that would make me look bad. But something as esoteric as Heartbleed... It's just too lost on them. Yeah. You know, they, they heard about it. I told them about it. One, so the one thing was I'm the one who presented the bad news to them. Uh, I was going to ask you, because that's, that's one of the things that I would often do, is I would so say... They, they heard it from me first, and yeah. I said, I'm already working on it. Okay. Um, do nothing. Just don't do anything crazy. This will be resolved. Don't panic. Yeah. I mean, literally, it wasn't like a, a scramble in the office. It was I took like 20 minutes and did it. And everybody was fine. I, yeah, good. I I know that, you know, <clears throat> I so I've been on both ends of the fence where I've had an employer who would just milk these kinds of vulnerabilities. And they were mostly doing yeah. Microsoft stuff, so it was mostly the Microsoft vulnerabilities. But they would, any excuse they had to sort of, you know, ramp up the paranoia about something. So that way they could get in there and charge for it, <laughs> you know, because then that's a billable event. So let's freak everybody out. Uh, and uh, what they what they essentially did was sowed um, uh, doubt about their own product offerings. So it's a, it's a tight line to walk. So wait, uh, they were abusing a security vulnerability to promote like there's their you know, we're had invoices. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're a little short on hours this month. So, uh, well, guess what? There's this thing that came out on patch Tuesday. That's really bad. So we'll send out a notification to all of our clients. That way they want us to come out there this month and fix it instead of during our next scheduled visit, which is not necessarily a horrible thing. Cause well, they do need I, to fix it, but yeah, that feels a little unethical. Though, I know. That's, right? how I felt yeah. about, that's how I felt about it too. <laughs> so I'm not sure that I'm on board with this. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was just, I wasn't, I wasn't suggesting you were doing that, but I was wondering if there is a little bit of a, you know, a bump in business all of a sudden for you when, when not really. Happen. Um, and part of that is because a large portion of my business is, is client side actually. Right. It's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we do do the, yeah. a lot of the times that our clients will have a server side team in house Yeah, uh, and we're doing the client side. So this issue wasn't particularly damaging for us. Um, you know, I guess I could see how a lot of firms probably would have milked Heartbleed to make a lot of money. That's really dirty. Yeah. Yeah. And I was, yeah, yeah. And and then that kind of creates paranoia. Uh, all right. Well, I have yeah. this video I want to play for you. Um, oh, boy. It, the audio, if you're, if you're only listening to the audio version, don't worry. You're not going to miss a thing. It's, well, actually, that's not true. There are some good visuals if you're watching the video version, so you might want to check it out. But you'll still get a great experience. Um this is so software for the Apollo guidance computer wasn't coded. It was hand woven by women, a whole team of women. Uh, in fact, they this was the first acronym of LOL, which you'll hear about in this video. This blows my mind. They hand wove ones and zeros. So I want to play that for you. And just, this is incredible. So I want to play that for you in just a second. But first. I want to thank Profiler, another sponsor of the Coder Radio program. This, I was talking about that job where I worked remote and uh, was, you know, putting in a ton of hours. This would have really made me much more efficient, would have let me kind of maybe not work quite as hard remotely. It's Profiler, and you can find it over at derwiz.com. Now, what is Profiler? It's a web-based LDAP directory administration tool. Let that sink in for a second. So you've got Active Directory. You maybe have rolled your own LDAP solution. You have a directory of users. You... You've probably always thought, gosh, it would just be so easy if the users could update their own information or if HR or the manager could update their own information, but I'd have to structure the security in such a way or we'd have to have our OUs in such a way. Profiler solves this major problem. It, uh, it actually enables user self-service. Users can modify their own objects, but only the attributes you allow. And what's really handy about that is it will set up, it will scan your schema. 
It'll import like any kind of custom modifications you might have made to support things like SharePoint or whatever application you might have needed to have data in your directory for. You can add custom fields. You can say oh, they can edit these fields. They can add these fields. If they change their name, for example, you can say have it automatically set up an exchange forwarder for them, which is so nice because if you're doing exchange administration, you, you know how great that is, how much time that saves. It allows for uh, people to be the managers of different areas and say, okay, this person is allowed to change the, the attributes for the people below them. And if somebody below them needs to change their attributes, they'll have more limited access. They can only do the last name, for example. And if they make a change, send that transaction to Syslog. So if you've been struggling with how to track user modifications on your network for auditing purposes or just general good security hygiene, Profiler has Syslog export built in. So you can have that go out to the Syslog, pull it in, and do a filter based on that and see every time a user's account was changed. I think that's really powerful stuff. Now, it has support, like I mentioned, for Active Directory, but the profiler also supports Open LDAP, pretty much any LDAP service you have. And the new version 6 includes a pre-configured template for Active Directory and Exchange attributes to get you up and running right away. Anything that's LDAP version 3, you're set. If you have SSL, you're fine. Support for non-standard LDAP schemas, no problem. And the thing that they do is you have a couple of options. So you want to integrate it with your Apache server, you want it on a Linux box, you're fine. You can run profiler there. You got a Windows box with IIS, profiler works on that. If you're just getting started, and you're curious how Profiler could actually make your business more efficient, you can even run its own internal web server. When you do that, setup is less than five minutes. You download it, you get it going. All major browsers are supported. So if you're running Chrome on your, in your organization, you're fine. You can get email notifications when change happens. It supports thumbnail JPEGs if you want to have pictures of the employee. I think that's kind of a cool little thing. We did that towards the end of my run. I had to manually do that. So the fact that it just handles that is pretty awesome. And it's build per install, so you don't have to worry about it getting crazy. If you go over to derwiz.com and download, use the promo code CODER4, you'll get an extended evaluation so you can try it out. And, the, and like many things that Directory Wizards makes, if you're a Linux shop or a Windows shop, they've got you covered. This is a really super way, too, if you have a group that... I'll give you an example. We Every department had an HR folder, and HR had to have access to every single folder in every single shared department's folder. Well, if you need to change those things around, the, the, the IT guy doesn't need to be doing that. When HR ha- adds somebody, they'll, they can add the person to those permissions, and then the IT guy can just get an entry in Syslog or an email notification. Or when Susie down the hallway changes her last name on her third marriage, instead of having the IT guy once again have to change Susie's last name, once again have to go update Susie's email folder, Profiler can handle that for you. In fact, Susie could update it herself. It's, it's truly user self-service for a lot of these basic administration things that just tie down the administrator and used to drive me crazy. It's one of the reasons I got out of IT. And for a short period of time, one place I worked, I instituted a no last name change policy. I can't believe I got away with it, but I said, no more. We will no longer be changing last names. We will not do it. It's just because it was just happening so much. Profiler would have saved me from all of that hair. I think some of my hair went gray, and I love my hair. I love my hair. Profiler would have kept my hair dark. So go over to derwiz.com, download the Profiler demo. Don't forget to use our promo code CODER4 so that way you get an extended trial so you can really bang on and see if you're happy and take advantage of that Derwiz support. You guys are going to love it. This is a software shop that has been in business for years now creating super efficient enterprise-grade applications. They've really figured it out. When you install it, the directory structure, you'll see it. It'll immediately make sense to you how it's configured. You can see what it's doing. The logging system is standard across. I mean, it's syslog, guys. If this is the kind of stuff that after years of people being in the business, they've really dialed in on what efficient enterprises and businesses need. Small business, large business. Go over to derwiz.com. Try out the brand new Profiler 6. And a big thank you to Directory Wizards and their great profiler for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. There you go. Profiler. Go check it out. New version 6. All right. I I teased it enough. Uh, I'm going to play this uh, video for you. It's pretty great. It's a little retro. It's only like a minute 30 long. It's a little quiet. Furthermore, the computer disks that stored the programs were fragile and unreliable. The solution today seems extraordinary. It was called rope memory. You actually had to send the program to a factory, and women in the factory would literally weave the software into this core 
rope memory. We called it the LOL method, the little old lady method of uh, wiring these, <laughs> these cars. Not a very nice, t today you couldn't say that. <laughs> say that. Computer code consists of ones and zeros. In this case, it was a physical distinction. Margaret Hamilton was one of the very few female engineers on the project. The rope is made up of rings and wires. And if the wire goes through the core, it represents a one, and around the core, it represents a zero. Wow. It was extremely slow. One program could take several months to weave, and if there was an error, it was a nightmare to correct. The software program was falling dangerously behind schedule. Oh, that's it right there. So I'll have a link in the show notes if you want to watch the rest. I can only imagine. <laughs> Could you, weaving your software, and then if you have a mistake... Like, what are you going to do? You gotta, you'd have to undo everything from the mistake point and reweave it. And that's how they programmed the Apollo flight system. So uh, that, to me, just really sort of put a lot of things in perspective. And we talk about, you know, Objective-C and Xcode. Man, you got it easy. <laughs> you go, what are you worried about? Actually, uh, yes. Many Apple reviewers are listening. Xcode, Objective-C. The entire iOS tool chain are just a pleasure to work with. Um <laughs> Please don't delay my stuff. Right, right. No, don't. Review it quickly and get it out there. So that way we can talk very pleasantly about it. Uh, one last bit of feedback before we get to our 100 plans and wrap her up. Uh, we, uh, we got a lot of great suggestions on PHP to PDF options. I'm going to link the definitive reply thread that's in our Coder Radio subreddit. Uh, uh, DOM PDF, one of them, TCPDF, FPDF. Uh, but uh, our submitter here, uh, Mr. Rotten Corpse, prefers DOM PDF to generate files because it supports external style, style sheets and is very nice to be able to pull in the CSS elements to design the PDF. It's pretty cool, he says, and you can find it uh, at uh, DOM PDF, D O M PDF GitHub.com. And there is a discussion thread in our subreddit where people are talking about also MPDF and. Uh, uh, using latex and things like that. So to our emailer a week ago or so, I think it was, who was asking uh, how to take a PHP page and turn it into a very presentable PDF, sounds like DOM PDF might be your solution. Go check out that thread. We have it linked in the show notes. So you want to talk a little bit about Coda Radio 100? Yes. I have, uh, you know, I, I hadn't found a, like we were going to do like a like a, a coffee mug. And I haven't really found one yet that uh, either does a good print or doesn't. a lot of them don't get reported as broken in shipping. So we kind of put a little feeler out there for a Coda Radio 100 limited shirt idea. Okay. And we got a good one. So I'm going to send it to you probably tonight, if I remember. Okay. See what you think. And if we do it, we can announce it in 100. It won't be like a really big thing because, you know, we don't generally for the 100th episode, like for TechSnap, we just did 100, you know, 100 for 100. Uh, uh, and then, well, we can sell more, but it's a limit. It has an unlock of 100. So if we don't sell 100, they don't go. But it was a nice, like, just a nice way to celebrate edition 100 because the thing is, is we've been working more and more with Teespring since our recent uh, shirts, and we've really gotten a good relationship established. They've really gotten their quality level up, and there's been some really neat things they're doing on the back end. So I think that's probably our, that's, that's the way we can do something for Coda Radio 100 and know the quality is going to be good. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to do something and then, like, have weeks and weeks of people complaining about the mugs being broken or uh, the print yeah, not being very good or washing off as soon as they put it in the dishwasher. I didn't want to do something substandard. It's like, if Coda Radio is going to do something for 100, I want it to be, like, a, a good product that we can, we can, you know, know we can deliver on. What do you think well, of that? You, you want that Apple quality in the product. <laughs> Wow, you're all you're all fired up today. You're trying to get me going. I'm just trying to bait you, man. Come on. Yeah, yeah, bait. yeah. Because Macs never crash. Never. Uh, well, um, I've been told several times at the Genius Bar that it is, in fact, just me. <laughs> really? Yeah. So that's kind of uh, okay. Now, what do you think about doing 100? <laughs> I know this is it's difficult, especially being sick and all. What do you think about next week doing Coda Radio 100 in the evening, so that way? We give different folks a chance to show up who couldn't normally 
join us? Like, what would be if we did that? What would be a good time for you? Like after work, mm. after dinner? Like, you know, do you have any kind of thoughts on that? You want to do the- <laughs> like an evening, like a, yeah, like an evening edition of Coda Radio. Like after dinner or before dinner, sit back with some beers and just talk about stuff for one hundred and give give the JB Live uh, different. Se- not that we don't love our morning viewers. But I just, you know, I know some folks have always wanted to be able to watch, but they're at work when, we, when we're doing the show. But if we did it in the evening, like maybe 6, 7 o'clock uh, your time, then we would give a lot more folks an opportunity to join us that don't, are not normally here in the, in the chat room. Sounds good. Let's do it for 6. All right. So we'll do next week's Quarter Radio at 6 p.m. Eastern, which would be 5, 4, 3 o'clock my time, right? So we'll plan for 3 o'clock Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern for next week's Coda Radio 100. We'd love to have you join us. If you haven't had a chance to watch a Coda Radio Live, now would be a good time to stop by, say hi to us, help us title the show, and uh, chat with us and all those kinds of things. And uh, give us that live feedback. And don't forget, speaking of feedback, we need it. We just read a whole batch of your emails. So go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and click that contact link. And uh, send in your questions, your thoughts to Mr. Dominic and I. Mr. Dominic, is there anything else we needed to cover in episode 100? Nope, that's it. All right, well, glad to have you back. I hope you feel better next week for episode 100. And uh, make sure you stock up on beer, too, because that's why we're doing it in the evening. You get my drift, so. I'll get some Paps Blue Ribbon ready. <laughs> yeah, all right. We're going like that. We're going, we're going Paps for episode 100. We're going full hipster, baby. All right. Okay. I'm, I'm on board. All right. Very good. Well, Mr. Dominic, if we were going to send people your general direction throughout the week to find you, where would you have them go? Uh, tw- uh, at Fingertip Tech on Twitter. Oh, very good. Very good. You can also follow me on the Twitters. I got that new fancy profile. How big time am I? Twitter.com slash Chris LAS. You can also find me on Google Plus, cr- plus Chris Fisher. Google Plus plus Chris Fisher. That doesn't work so well, Google. Figure it out. Jeez. All right, everyone. Well, thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here for episode 100, 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, over at jblive.tv for the video version or jblive.info for the audio version. See you then.